Yeah, so here we are again for another podcast of the Adelaide Entrepreneur Club. And today we're with Larry. And the interesting thing about Larry, we met Larry on day 190 of our journey of meeting someone new every day. And today's day 200, so it was only 10 days ago that we got to meet, we, we got to meet Larry. So, yeah, welcome, Larry, and I appreciate you so much coming on the show today. My pleasure, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yes, and um, I'm still just amazed when I look at that. It was only 10 days ago that we first met. <laughs> yeah, I was on my bicycle and I was trying to get some energy burned off. So yes, that's right. It was, our, it was our first bicycle conversation that we had. Okay, so, and I got that wrong. It's actually day 199, I've just been reminded. So it was nine days ago that we met you. So when we all good, Stephen, you will not be held accountable for your for your <laughs> your miscalculations. Um, so when we spoke to Larry, there was a few things about Larry that uh, interested us enough to come back and uh, do a recording today. And the first one was a story that he told us, uh, which I'm uh, really keen for him to to tell, so that we can share it and people can hear it. And uh, also, Larry wrote a book called uh, Success Redefined. So that was a, a subject I thought that would be worth exploring with Larry today. So uh, first of all, I, I think I may have already said this, but thanks very much, Larry, for you for coming here today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And um, so I thought we'll just start with um, maybe just share about where you live and briefly what you do. And then, um, yeah, just yeah, that'd be good, Larry. Well, I was born and raised in New York. So my parents are both from Brooklyn, and I spent the first 46 years, all but maybe two and a half years, in and around New York City. And in 2008, came for a trip to see my sister-in-law in San Diego, and had been here probably 10 times before, maybe even more. And I got back from that trip, and my wife's like, well, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. And about a, three or four days later, I'm not very good at identifying my feelings, but I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to live in Southern California. And I know it's not going to happen because I know you're not going to leave your mom and blah, 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 blah. And she said, well, try me. You might be surprised. So uh, I spent a good portion of my life in New York. But uh, in 2010, we moved to San Diego, California, which is where we live today. Sure. And we're in North County in Carlsbad. It's a beautiful little area. And I'm very blessed to live about a mile from the beach. I get to see the ocean every day. Um, I walk a lot. I bike a lot. I just saw some people playing volleyball today for the first time. I play tennis and pickleball and golf. So San Diego is a beautiful place to be able to do those things 12 months a year. Fantastic. So what we'll touch on now, Larry, is when we spoke to you, you told us a story about a trip to, um, to Africa that you had and, and what happened. So I just thought it would be uh, really good if you went through that story with us again today because it was uh, just a very interesting story with so many different aspects of uh, you know, success principles in, in what one might think is a very simple story, but there's so much to it. Well, it starts in uh, 2011 when I was on a beach in San Diego and I met a woman who was talking about some of the projects she was working on in Uganda. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm bringing technology to rural villages in, in eastern and northern Uganda. And I was like, well, explain more because I have a tech background. I'm a degree engineer. And I'd been working in the tech field for almost 25 years at that point, maybe 20 years at that point. And um, she said, well, I've got these computer centers and we give internet access to these young people so they can actually 
learn how to become better and learn how to grow uh, individually and do work in the computer field. And I said, that's pretty cool. And it, what was going in through my mind is that when I was in New York, I was involved in a lot of cause-related stuff, and I was looking for something in San Diego for our family to get involved in. And I'm like, okay, technology, kids, love both those things. And Africa, I've always wanted to go on safari. So I put those three things together and said, so how can I help you? She said, well, we're always looking for board members. I'm like, okay, I could do that. So I joined her board, and I said to my family, I said, would you be open to going to Uganda next summer? taking some time because when we moved to San Diego, we committed to my mother-in-law, who's still in New York, that we would go back for the summers. So we'd go back last week of June after school was out, we would get back to, the, to New York and we spent either a month or two on the East Coast and then we'd come back to San Diego. And so my summers were up in the Catskills in New York and I traded 10 months a year in San Diego for two months a year in New York. Well, the summer of 2012, we ended up spending a month in New York and a month in Uganda. So when we got to New York, we took a flight from New York to Istanbul, from JFK, and then from Istanbul to Entebbe. And when we got to Entebbe, which is the airport just south of Kampala in Uganda, um, we started waiting at the baggage carousel for our bags. And somebody said to me, there's a list of names over there at that other table of people that bags didn't make it on the flight. Like, what are you talking about? They said, well, for whatever reason, they, they had a bunch of bags that didn't make it. So I go over to the lady at the table and I look on the list and my last name is Kesslin. And the first four names on the list in capital letters were Kesslin, 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 Kesslin. There's four of us, I have two children that are now 20 and 18. So they were 10 and eight when we went. And uh, sorry, they were 12 and 10 when we went. And um, so my, I look at my wife and I'm like, our bags are back in Istanbul and all we have is our carry-ons. So the taxi driver has my name and he comes and picks me up. He doesn't speak any English. I have no idea how those four bags would have ever fit in or on top of that car anyway, because our carry-ons and the four of us filled the entire car. And I have no idea how we would have gotten the other bags yet. We got to Kampala. We spent the day. Turns out the gentleman we were staying with had some other clothes from previous guests. He knew people who stayed there all the time. He ran a nonprofit. Um, I'm still friends with Joshua Cialo to this day. And we spent the next day just getting acclimated to Kampala. The next day we called Turkish Airlines saying, you left our bags. We landed on a Sunday, so this is now Monday. They said, we can give you a couple of dollars. We can give you some money. Why don't you come in? So the next day, Tuesday, I go in. And I go in with my wife, and we talk to a gentleman at the front desk, and he says, oh, we could probably give you $600 for your inconvenience. Um, I'll be right back. Let me go talk to my manager. So he goes into his manager, and his manager, and he comes out, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry, we can only give you $300. And I'm like, I'm a family of four people. You've lost my bags for three days now. And I, I, I think I need more than $300 to replace the stuff that's missing. He said, that's all we can do. I said, can I talk to your manager? So he invites me in to meet the country director for Turkish Airlines in Istanbul, uh, sorry, in, in, uh, in Kampala. And I sit with him and my wife is livid. So my wife's yelling at him and telling him all these things like, how did you do, why did you do this to us? And I'm just sitting there because I'm an entrepreneur. And I know that the guy sitting behind the desk didn't do anything. He's just the person receiving the, the, the venom that my wife is spewing at this guy. And I said, you know, I know this is not your fault. And I know you want to do right, 
but $300 is just not, he says, that's all I can do right now. I can give you 300 per bag, but your bags are going to be at the airport tomorrow morning. I'll have them tell me where you're staying. I'll have them shipped to where you're staying. And I said, no, I'll go get them myself. And I must tell you that the, the bags were coming in on the same flight. We landed at 3.45 in the morning. It was pitch black. We got driven to Kampala, which is about an hour and change drive by a guy who was driving on the wrong side of the road, didn't speak my language. There were cows on the side of the road. There were bicycles on the side of the road. There were people on the side of the road. And we were passing cars in our lane on turns. Like it was, I, I just tapped the guy on the, on the shoulder. I'm trying to explain to him, alive, not fast. I just want to get there in one piece. So I said I would never drive at night in Uganda again, but we ended up meeting a, a taxi driver that I really liked. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to the airport tomorrow morning and I will pick up my own bags because I want to get out of here as fast as possible. I'm not going to wait for your people to come deliver this stuff to my place. So Tuesday night, I go to sleep at three o'clock in the morning, wake up at four to get into a car to go down to the airport to pick up my bags, get to the airport. And the guy that had offered us the $300, the 600 bucks, the, the one from the front desk, saw us and ran the other way. And I'm like, what is going on? So we get to the baggage claim and our bags aren't there again. They didn't make it on that flight either. So that day we go back to the Turkish Airlines office. And now I go back with the guy who runs the nonprofit. And now he's yelling at the guy. And the country manager for Turkish Airlines now hands me enough um, money, Ugandan shillings, which was another $900. So in total, he gave us $1,200, which is the most he could give $300 per bag. And my friend was yelling at him, I'm like, stop. He gave us everything we need. We're fine. So we had spent about $200. And so we got $1,200. I had $1,000 left. And we took our ride with our taxi driver to uh, a town called Mbali, M-B-A-L-E. They pronounce it Bali. And there's a Jewish community. We happen to be Jewish, and the woman who brought us there is Jewish. There's a Jewish community there called the Abayadaya. And the Abayadaya is about a 1,500 um, person community. There's about 500 that live right in that area. And um, we went to some services, and the woman who brought me there, her name is Deb Plotkin, said, you know, there's a young man here who is probably the smartest kid I've ever met while I've been in Uganda for the last seven years. His name is Armstrong, and he needs some money to take flight lessons. Do you know anybody who might want to help? And I said, how much does he need? And she said, he needs $1,000. <laughs> so I meet with Armstrong, and I sit down with Armstrong, and I said, Armstrong, tell me your story. So he tells me his story, and we start getting to know each other. And I'm like, you know, I got this money from this airline, and there's someone who shows up in my life that says he wants to become a commercial airline pilot. And I looked at my wife that night. I said, you know, I met this young man. And he wants to be a pilot, needs $1,000. And the money that we got from the airline, I didn't budget for it. We have enough money. My business was doing very well at the time. And I'm like, you know, I really would love to, um, really would love to give the money to him. What do you think? She said, let me meet, the, meet him in the morning. And then we'll make a decision together. So we met with Armstrong the next morning and she looked at me and she said, okay. So I pulled out 10 crisp $100 bills because I was told to bring crisp new $100 bills. This was 2012 and it had to be 2008 or newer. So I went to all the banks that I could find in my area before we left to get brand new crisp $100 bills. And I gave him $1,000 in cash. I found out about two years later that the most money he'd ever seen in his life was $180. Wow. 
So here's a white man, a Mazunga, what I'm called in, in, in Eastern Africa. Here's a Mazunga handing this young man who was 24 at the time $1,000 in cash. And he, he looked at me like it was, it was crazy. And I said, here's the deal. We're going to be back. So he was working at Wilson Airport in Nairobi in Kenya, which is a neighboring country. And I said, we'll be in Kenya. We've got another week and a half here. And then we've got a week of safari in Kenya. On the way back from safari, we're going to be heading to the airport the next day. Why don't you meet us at the airport when we arrive? And he said, I'm going to go take the test. It's a long story. This young man was making maybe a dollar or two dollars a day, washing planes, carrying bags, enough to buy a bottle of water and a piece of bread for the entire day. He lived in a tent that was about 10 miles, 15 miles from the airport. He would take a bus there every day. And he would sleep in the tent and they would go back to work every day. And he took classes with his teacher who didn't charge him a penny because the teacher knew that he was really smart. So I give him the money. He goes and he takes the test. And when I get back from my safari two and a half weeks later, there is Armstrong. Mr. Lowry, Mr. Lowry, how are you? I'm like, Armstrong, it's nice to see you. So I was with my wife, my two kids, and my brother. My brother met us in Kenya to go on the safari with us. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so um, I said, Armstrong, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. I passed my test. I'm like, that is wonderful here. And then he says, now I need money for flight lessons. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Armstrong, um, I just got back from, um, we've been here for four weeks. Let me get home and I'll call you in two weeks on a Sunday. I gave him the time. So 7 a.m. my time was 7 p.m. his time. And I started talking to Armstrong every other Sunday. Wow. So I played volleyball on the beach at 8 o'clock on Sundays. And at 7 o'clock on Sundays, I would call him from my office phone which was an ip phone so it was no charge to call international calls and i would call him every other sunday and we would talk and within about 30 days i wired him seventy five hundred dollars seven thousand dollars he needed to take flight lessons and i said here's another five hundred dollars for a tutor because your english is really bad and you need to improve your english so he took the seven thousand he got his private pilot's license he went to go get a job because he thought he could get a job with a pilot's license and Turns out that he needed a commercial pilot's license, not a private pilot's license. So one thing leads to another. He can't get a job. I started doing some research. I had a friend who ran a company called DDD, which was Digital Data Divide, which was a nonprofit that basically brought technology to rural villages. And those rural villages, those employees would work for um, American companies to, I don't know, before AI was around, they would look at parking spots and say which ones are empty. They would do all this via the internet. And digital data divide allowed um, third world country inner people in poor areas to make a real living working for them. So the guy who ran their Nairobi operations happened to be a pilot, happened to work for DDD, and happened to spend a lot of time at Wilson Airport in Nairobi. So I called him and I said, can you do me a favor? I've got this kid. I've been investing in him. I got to find out whether he's worth the investment. So can you just go interview him and tell me what, whether he, you think he can become a pilot? Because this guy was a pilot. And uh, so he meets with Armstrong and he calls me back and he said, yeah, the kid's a real deal. He should be able to do whatever he puts his mind to. So I said to Armstrong, I said, it's really hard for me to raise money for you living in Nairobi. If you can get a visa, then come to the United States and we'll figure this all out. 
So this is probably March, April of 2013. So we're there in August of 2012. It's now six, seven months later. And he starts on his journey to try and get a visa. This is a kid making a dollar to two dollars a day at an airport. And he, he talks to the consulate in Uganda, figures out what he needs, gets all the paperwork. I sent them 12 months of bank statements to prove that I had the money to financially support him. And um, they gave him a visa. So he got his visa early January of 2014. And on February 6th of 2014, he landed in San Diego. So I pick him up at the airport. And at that time, when I moved to San Diego, I told my wife, one of the things I wanted was a convertible I could drive 12 months of the year. That was one of my, I wanted to live in a place I could drive a convertible that um, all year round, and then my kids can go to public school. And my wife wanted family. So we were down to Florida and San Diego because my parents are in Florida. Her sister was in San Diego. San Diego won hands down. So I'm in my convertible, Audi A4 convertible, and I pick him up at the airport, and we're driving back to my house. My mother-in-law was staying over, so I had to drop him at a friend's house that day, that night, like 8 o'clock at night. And he's driving on a five-lane highway, 10-lane highway, five lanes in each direction, in a beautiful car. And this is a kid who's never seen anything. I mean, lived in rural villages, been to Nairobi, but Nairobi is an old city that is being modernized by the Chinese, but still. So we get to my friend's house. I drop him off at the house. He goes to bed. I pick him up the next morning and he's walking around the house. I mean, you've got to look at him, looking at the recessed lighting, looking at the perfect corners of the walls, like his eyes bugging out of his head. And then I bring him to my house. Not that my house was any nicer, but same thing. I mean, recessed lighting, nice home, nice walls, just a modernly constructed house. He's lived, used to living in a, a a mud hut with a thatched roof. That's what he grew up with. His dad grew up with a loincloth. So Armstrong comes to my house and he says, Mr. Larry, can I go build a fire to make some tea? And I'm like, Armstrong, come with me. I said, I have a water cooler over here. It has a hot button and a cold button. And he looks at me and he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, if you just hold your cup under here, you push this little button down and you push this level down, you're going to get hot water. So he makes tea for the hot water and he's looking in the back of the machine and I'm like, what are you looking for, Armstrong? He's like, where's the fire? Wow. And I said, well, it's electricity that causes the water to heat up. He's like, huh? Then I showed him a dishwasher. Then I showed him a refrigerator. Then I showed him a washer dryer. All things that he had never seen nor even thought about in his life. Things that we take for granted. Yep. So let's fast forward. So that's 2012. Over the last... 2012, we met 2014, he got here. So after the last six years, uh, we've spent, we raised about $25,000. We probably spent about 50 of our own. And he's been through close to 300 hours of flight time. He's got his mechanics license, FAA certified. He spent three and a half months at Boeing last year, getting ready to go take a job in, in the UAE for Air Dubai. And he's making a living now. Fantastic. And his commitment was that he would go back to Nairobi so about six months ago, he started reaching out to some people back at uh, Wilson Airport in Nairobi, and there's this woman uh, who's, a, who's Italian, and her husband passed away about two years ago. She's been looking for Armstrong because she's looking to sell her because her husband died, and she's no longer interested in running the business. So looking to sell her, that just cut out when you said? Uh, looking to sell her hangar. Oh, right. <laughs> She wanted $100,000 for the hangar and the three airplanes that she has in it. Wow. And she was looking for Armstrong. She didn't know where he was. 
now he has a mechanics license. He's got his private pilot's license, not yet a commercial. And um, he's given her $15,000 towards the 100000 and they're partners now. So he now owns part of a hangar in wow. the airport where he was carrying bags and washing planes just eight years ago. Fantastic. And his commitment is that he wants to change his country. He wants to build the FedEx yeah. for, for Africa through his work. Wow. So, and, and this all started with the fact that I told you we were having a wedding at our house yeah. um, the following Sunday, which was this past Sunday. So Armstrong and his new bride, uh, Melinda, um, are now, I'm less so sorry, are now married and back in the Bay Area. And uh, just a wonderful couple, and they're three months pregnant. And so Armstrong's going to be a dad. Um, he's gamefully employed by a gentleman. He's going to start his own business. And he's just very, very, very motivated at 31. That's amazing. Change the world and make a difference in the world. Like, that is so good because I've heard over and over again that story about the small boy that walks along the beach and everyone's heard of the starfish story where there's all these starfish washed up on the beach, like thousands and thousands of them. And, and he's walking along, picking up one and throwing it back in the water. And the old, an old guy comes past and looks at him and says, you know, what do you, how do you think you're going to make a difference with all these starfish? And the little boy picks up one more starfish and throws it back in the water and says to the old man, well, we'll make a difference to that one. And, um, you know, and then you look at life and you go, you know, if you have that chance to, I guess, help that one starfish or that one person and significantly impact their life, then you've done a, an amazing thing. So you know, this is just an incredible story of, uh, um, you know, just how... I'd like to know, and we won't keep on this one, and we might be here forever, but I'd just like to know, when, when, you, when you had the $1,000 given to you from the airport and when you heard the lady say that he needs $1,000, what, what went through your mind right then? Um, I think everything has a reason. Yeah. And the reason I was given that money was to give it to him. I didn't need it. Yeah. My business was doing so well. And um, money is just a tool. And that tool was better used in the hands of this young man than it was in my bank. So that's what I, that was the immediate thought. Awesome. And when I spent time with Armstrong, and he spent six years in the United States, Mr. Larry calls me Mr. Larry, calls my wife Mama Elise. And uh, he says, I don't many, meet many people like you. Like, what are you talking about? There's plenty of people like me. Oh, it's different. I, 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 it's funny because the woman who started the nonprofit asked me what happened in my life. I don't know. I think I was born this way. I don't think it's anything. I, it's just who, who, what, where. Yeah. I got plenty of flaws. Trust me. Oh, um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> there's plenty of things I could do a lot better, but this yeah. part of my life, I, I feel yeah. pretty complete in yeah. the sense that my whole life is dedicated to how do I make the world a better place for others? Fantastic. So, 